This is an ABC podcast. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Indonesia bans sex outside of marriage, punishable by a year in jail. Our love affair with Bali on the rocks, thanks to a controversial new law. That's scary. We're there to have fun, so I wouldn't be worried about it too much. Oh, yeah, we might think about it maybe Thailand or something instead. So as you're downing cocktails and soaking up the sun on a cheap and cheerful holiday in Bali, it's easy to forget just how conservative Indonesia is. But Bromon O'Shea, as we just heard from the Vox Pops there, thanks to AM on Saturday, things have changed. Last week, Indonesia passed new laws banning sex outside of marriage and unmarried couples from living together. And at first it was said those rules would apply to tourists too, but officials are now saying no tourists won't be affected. No one's going to be asking you if you're married when you check into your hotel. But the government has said, you know, yes, we will guarantee the confidentiality of visitors' personal data during their stay. And the people would be holding their breath and they say, yes, no, we won't let your data out, whether or not that's the case. But some locals and those in the tourism sector, they're really worried about this news and whether or not it will deter people from visiting, and especially those who identify as LGBTIQ+. Yeah, and then there's other critics who say this new criminal code actually violates international human rights laws and standards. So do you make sure that you know the local laws and the cultural and religious practices of the country you're visiting and do you abide by them or as a tourist do you think oh no they don't apply to me will those changes to indonesian law that are set to come into effect in three years time will they actually stop you from traveling there on abc radio melbourne and victoria this is the conversation hour Rochelle Hunt with you in Melbourne, Bronwyn O'Shea joining you as always from ABC Wodonga. And the question today, Bron, is how much attention do you pay to the country's cultural and religious practices and laws when you travel? And if we put the spotlight just on Indonesia for a moment, millions of people travel to Bali every year. Those numbers fell away, of course, over the last couple of years. But I know just personally two close friends that are in Bali at the moment. We have a long love affair with Bali. So I wonder, even though these rules don't apply to locals, uh, to tourists, whether or not it will make people think twice about going. Yeah, and it's easy to kind of live in your little tourist bubble and not necessarily think, especially if you're jetting off to, you know, a a destination where you're going to a resort or something that's very touristy. You may not necessarily think about what the local laws are, what especially, you know, those vastly different moral and ethical um, laws and and rules around the way you should behave and the expectations on behaviour. Professor Paula Guber from Monash University has actually called through on our talk back line. Good morning, Professor. What do you think? Um, I think we should be paying attention to where we travel and, and what the laws say and not provide sort of tacit endorsement that this treatment, even if it's not applied to tourists, is okay to apply to, to locals. And I draw similarities to the World Cup in Qatar and how, uh, you know, there was a lot of people who refused to go to that event or wanted to wear rainbow uh, clothing to show their support for LGBTIQ people and that was that was suppressed and I, and I think you know international law does require that all people are treated equally uh, regardless of their sexual orientation or gender identity and um, we should be making sure that that law is upheld globally. We were making the same comparisons about Qatar actually before the program started. I wonder, do you, do you think that we have a moral obligation as visitors, as, as tourists, to make our travel decisions based on whether we agree or condone the laws that apply in that country? Yes, look, we have international human rights law that we're meant to all, you know, abide by, but often, you know, countries that saying something breaches human rights doesn't actually get their attention. But if you make decisions that impact on them economically, you get their attention. So Brunei, you might recall a few years ago, reintroduced a death penalty for uh, homosexuality. And they were boycotted very hard and very heavily, and they reversed that decision. So it wasn't so much that people saying, oh, this 
breaches human rights law, but when there was economic consequences for their actions, they took notice. And we did see very quickly the Indonesian authorities change their tune on whether this would apply to tourists, didn't we, after that that backlash to this announcement? Yes, yes. So I think, um, you know, people should think about whether they want to go to to Bali or not, not so much on the basis of whether they're going to get arrested, but whether they want to show their support for Indonesians not living under such uh, such laws. Thanks so much for calling through, Professor. We really appreciate it. Professor Paula Gerber there. She is a Professor of Human Rights Law at Monash University. Dale's called through as well. He's from Endeavour Hills. Hi, Dale. Hi. Yeah, um, with Bali, people forget, yes, it's, it's part of Indonesia, but Bali is Hindu. So to punish the Balinese for what the Indonesian government does is wrong. But you should respect the locals anyway. I've been over there numerous times and a lot, actually probably a lot of times. I respect the locals. I respect the local customs, the traditions. They have certain days which you've got to observe. And I've never had an issue. Yet I've seen Australians and the old Aussie Bogans who don't respect anybody get into trouble and they... I'm an Australian. Yes, you are, but you are travelling in another country. You need to respect the other country, and that goes for wherever you travel. And do you think that that's the case, that as Aussies, we're, like, are we pretty crude as travellers? Do we think, well, I'm on a holiday, I'm really tired, and I deserve this, and I'm going to do what I want to do, I'm going to drink my beer where I want to drink my beer, I'm going to wear my bathers in you know countries where women are expected to cover up, like... Do we just do whatever we want, do you think, Dale? I think we have a small section of our society that does that. But I see the good side and I actually see both sides. I actually stay in Cuda and people say why, because I see the culture. But um, it's only a small section of society and that, that goes for any culture, any country, any people. There are just people who just don't care about anybody else but themselves. But the most people I see do, do enjoy the times. Uh, they had there. And sure, there are young people that are free-willed and do what they like. I'm sure I was at it one, mm. I was there one day, but it's only a small minority. Most people enjoy it there, and that's why the Balinese love Australians. Dale, thank you. Bron, there's so many texts on this. It says, so if I went to Bali as a tourist and I had, in inverted commas, a fling with a local man, could they get locked up and not me? Surely not. This is weird. It's sort of scary stuff. It's definitely a breach of human rights. And other people saying, I believe if we're going to another country, we should absolutely research that country's laws and culture and respect it when we're there. We expect visitors to do so when they come to Australia. Exactly, a point I was thinking as well. It's it's all right to say I don't agree with those laws, but um, in the same way that we'd expect people to abide by ours if they were visiting Australia. You know, that's the way it goes, isn't it? Um, Linda's called from Brighton East. Hi, Linda. Yep. Hi, sorry. I what wanted to say that um, I decided many years ago, regretfully, that I couldn't travel to Indonesia because of the murders of those Australian journalists at Balibo. Hmm. And, and do you know many people who've who've used or who've made decisions about their holidays or not where to or not to holiday based on that sort of reason, Linda? Possibly. No, probably not, just me. Hmm. And why did you do it? Why did you feel so strongly about that? Well, I thought it was a terrible... Those guys were just doing their jobs and they, they were, it was a terrible thing just to, to, to kill them. Yeah. And Linda, I think lots of people think twice at certain times if they're going to countries and something really significant is happening that you feel connected to as well. Thanks for your call. Well, let's unpack a little bit about the changes in Indonesia. Associate Professor Dirk Tomsar is a senior lecturer in politics at La Trobe University, specialising in Indonesian politics. Dirk, is it as straightforward as it seems that one of the laws, because there were quite a few changes, but one of the laws is a ban on sex outside of marriage, but don't worry, it doesn't affect tourists. Is it that straightforward? Yeah, hi. No, it's um, it's not that straightforward. Um, it's not surprising, I suppose, that this is what caught the headlines um, overseas, like away from Indonesia, especially in Australia or in Europe, um, because of the tourism aspect. But for me as an observer of Indonesia for a long term, um, I see it in the bigger context of all the other 
uh, changes that have been made and that will affect Indonesians. And there are many other worrying aspects to this new criminal code um, that, yeah, not overshadow perhaps, but, you know, that are also very important and that need to be seen as affecting Indonesians, you know, on a daily and, basis. And, and what are, those, what are some of those that you're most concerned about? Well, there are some that relate to freedom of speech or freedom of expression. Um, this has been a, a long-term agenda for Indonesian politicians to restrict um, the, you know, the freedom to criticize um, state officials like the president or the vice president um, or to, you know, to talk badly about the Indonesian flag or the state um, ideology, the Panchasila. Um, the government has already gone after people who have been criticizing that um, with other laws, but now this sort of strengthens, strengthens this trend and um, makes it, yeah, makes it very difficult to be critical of the government. Um, so that's um, one aspect that is very concerning. And that's um, unfathomable to us because it's almost like a national sport here to <laughs> criticise the government. Like, we wouldn't know how not to do that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And especially with social media where you put yeah. something out there very quickly these days. Um, you know, already in the last few years we've seen this trend that uh, people have people have been um, pursued for, for this um, under an electronic uh, transaction law that has been very harshly applied to critics of the government. And yeah, with this new criminal code, this makes it even worse. There's, um, there's also a lot of confusion, I think, just from the general public and those maybe that travel to Bali or to Indonesia. There's a text here from Alan and it says, the new Indonesian rules are clear, but what happens if a, a young Australian couple slips off to Bali for a holiday and then her strict parents decide to complain to Indonesian authorities about their daughter's relationship? He could end up in Indonesian prison for 12 months. And, you know, just reading through some of the comments on these changes, people were talking about what about extortion, all sorts of things that potentially could happen. Does it start mm. to get murky and, and do the laws start to be able to be stretched in some way? Yeah, absolutely. It certainly opens the door for, you know, bribery, corruption to wriggle out of um, tricky situations. Um, I think the scenario that was painted there, as Indonesians have been at pains to explain, is very, very unlikely, but it is possible. And, you know, that it is possible there, um, you know, opens the door, as I said, for police or state authorities to maybe to accept bribes to let people off the hook. Um, I mean, that's obviously an ongoing problem been for many, many years in Indonesia that laws can be stretched. Um, and, you know, this will be no exception to that. Let's quickly bring in Dave at Newstead, who is curious as to how we've ended up with these laws in the first place. Hi, Dave. Oh, hello. Um, yeah, thanks for taking my call. Uh, I, I'm, I'm kind of interested to know what the purpose of the law is. I, I feel as though there was something that I heard that it, 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 there's a family member that's required to complain about um, the sex outside of marriage, which leads me to think, well, maybe it's not really designed to be busting young promiscuous people more so than people that are in a marriage and then having sex outside that marriage. So looking um, purely at adultery. I mean, Dirk, what do you think? Is Dave right? Is this looking at trying to, I guess, in some way stop adultery as opposed to, as Dave said, people going to Bali to have a good time? <laughs> um, yeah, the, the target are not tourists. Um, tourists may be caught up in it in these rare circumstances where it might be possible. But yeah, the, the target are Indonesians, either those um, that were just described by Dave. But also um, there are people living in Indonesia in relationships um, that um, might have been, um, you know, that, that may have a ceremonial wedding, but not a legal recognition of, uh, of the uh, marriage. And so these people, um, you know, in some um, communities will be at risk. It's also tangled up with, um, so Indonesia has the, this criminal code, but there's also, of course, the Islamic tradition and some have been married, um, maybe not by, um, by the state authorities, but just by an Islamic cleric. Um, and 
that can in some cases then have implications, especially when there are some, it's rare in Indonesia, but there are some cases um, where people have several wives. Um, so there are various possibilities where, you know, Indonesians can be affected by this. It's also problematic for the LGBT community because um, you can't get married as an LGBT in Indonesia. Um, so by definition, then you get caught up with that if you're having sex, um, because you won't, you know, you know, you won't be married. So it's, mm. yeah, as yeah. I said, the aspect for foreigners is, is a very, very, it's, it's a side story basically, but the targets that- are clearly Indonesians. Sorry, Dirk. I know that um, this has been about updating very ancient, um, mm. well, very historic Dutch laws that um, up until now had governed um, Indonesia. But politically, why mm. has this been important for the government? Because it, it took a long time, didn't it, for them to actually get this across the line. Politically, what was the motivation? Yeah, well, one is, as you said, because it's, it dates back from the colonial era. And um, Indonesia has been wanting to modernize its criminal code to detach it from the colonial era for a long time. Um, But why now? Well, it fits into a broader trend. Um, In Indonesia, we've seen over the last four or five years increasing restrictions on political rights, on civil liberties. Um, They have been expressed in other laws before, and this criminal code was intended to be passed um, last time, I think, was in t- 2019, and there were massive protests against it. Um, but it still fits both major sides of politics. So in Indonesia, the main dividing line is less between left and right. It's more al- along religious lines between more conservative elements, religiously conservative elements, and slightly more moderate or progressive elements in society. Um, but even the more moderate elements in society um are politically still quite conservative. So they wanted various other um, provisions in the new criminal court, for example, what I said earlier about criticizing the government. And then as a concession, um, they took on board the more religiously um, conservative um, provisions in the Mm. law, which the other side of politics wanted. So it suits both sides. Indonesia is now two years away from its next presidential elections. Um, So people from both camps are sort of putting themselves into position, you know, saying that we supported this for reason A or for reason B. Um, and then it will take three years anyway before this will come into force. So the new yeah. president will oversee this coming into force. And just finally, Dirk, do you foresee that Australians, Victorians will end up in some kind of trouble as a result of this. As we said, it is kind of murky-ish and there is scope and and room for tourists to somehow be affected by this. Is that something that you realistically foresee? Definitely not on a grand scale. Um, There may always be exceptions. I mean, it's a little bit perhaps if you could could, could compare to drug offences, you know, I mean that's also very harshly regulated in Indonesia and of course in the past we have seen Australians getting um, entangled in that. Um, But it's very, very rare and I would expect the same will happen with this law. It will be very, very rare that foreigners Mm. or Australians will end up with it, but you can't rule it out completely. Thanks so much for joining us. Associate Professor Dirk Tomzer, who's a senior lecturer in politics at La Trobe University, specialising particularly in Indonesian politics. On the Conversation Hour, we are talking about whether these changes to Indonesian law, um, which will ban things like premarital sex or sex outside marriage, as well as unmarried couples from living together, whether that might actually stop you from travelling there. What's interesting when Dirk Bron just mentioned there you know, similar laws around drugs and, and drug offences. But when we've seen some of the end results of drug offences and whether it be death, whether it be capital punishment, whether it be jail time and long periods of jail time, tourists do get caught up and it does have an impact. This by no means, I guess, has those same sort of ramifications. But when you look at whether or not tourists will be caught up in any of this, it's fascinating to think about. Cindy's in Dandenong. Hi, Cindy. Hello. Hi, what did you want to say? Um, when I when you first started talking about it, I thought that perhaps that this new law is to actually protect the 
young, uh, well, mostly women or um, in Indonesia from being persuaded by visiting older men to partake in, you know, they get basically taken advantage of often. I've seen it many, many times. Older men walking hand in hand with young Indonesian women. And perhaps it's a new law to discourage that. Well, I wonder if it was put in place, Cindy, for that reason or whether that might just be an added bonus, you know, a, a side element to it, Bron, that does potentially yeah. protect women in those circumstances. But and how it affects locals is fundamentally yeah, the main reason, isn't it? Exactly. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because, I mean, you can imagine if, if that, um, whether it's by choice or not, and you could argue it never is, but if, if someone um, is a sex worker in Bali and that's how they feed their family, um, what is the ramification then if that's outlawed and if, some, if that woman gets dobbed in and she can no longer do that and she's jailed? And everyone who relied on her for food and support um, can no longer do that. It, it does start to become very complex. It really does. And the moment these laws were being discussed and then were introduced, is something that we've spoken about here in Victoria pretty much right from the very beginning. But whether or not it's something that's being discussed in Bali, who knows? Steve Allen is a psychiatrist and a long-time part of the ABC family, currently living in Bali. Steve, last week when these potential changes to the law were announced, we all started talking about it in the office and it led all of our news bulletins and people were definitely discussing it, especially if they were going to Bali anytime soon. Was it being discussed in downtown Bali at all? Um, morning um, to both of you. It's great to be on the show. Um, yeah, look, it has been. It's been discussed for a long time, you know, really, at least two years, probably a decade or two. I mean, the context that a lot of people are missing is that Indonesian's laws, most of these laws were set in 1918 during the Dutch colonial era. And then when Indonesia became independent in 1945, they started talking about bringing in a modern set of statutes. And they started seriously about 30 years ago, and the first big draft was about two years ago, and this is final yet. And nearly all of these laws that everyone is talking about have been on the books the whole time, this is just the modern version. And so in doing the modern version, just like in Australia when we've modernised our laws over the years, you might remember homosexuality was only made legal in the 90s, um, just like us, we have all sorts of debates within the community about where the new laws should land. Should they be stricter? Should they be less strict? And in there, all of these new laws that are causing so much drama, and many of the laws are less strict than they were before. So it's really, it's really, you know, it's, it's mm. a popular topic over here and people are, are concerned because there's now three years to codify the laws to decide actually how they'll be enacted and how strict they'll be. So everyone's concerned, but no one's quite getting caught up in these so-called bonking bans and all this sort of stuff that's hit the international media. And what, and is fact, Steve, a lot of work, sorry. what are people concerned about? Is it how it'll affect the livelihoods uh, and people's day-to-day -day lives in Indonesia or is it more around how it'll affect tourism? Uh, mainly over here, it's about the influence of conservative or religious politics over the rest of the community. There's an, you know, obviously it's a very religious country. It's illegal not to be religious in Indonesia. You have to subscribe to one of the six religions. And uh, they have, and like in Australia, where we have a debate between left and right, they have a constant debate between religious freedom and uh, and where that lands. And so that's the main concern. Of course, in Bali, the concern is tourism, because tourism is by far the biggest industry, and everyone's mm -hmm. very anxious. You'll have seen the mayor of Bali, Bali's been in the, all the international media trying to calm everyone down, saying this is not going to affect um, tourists. Yes, Bali as usual is the kind of the the phrase yep. coming out. Steve, you you say that in some respects these laws are um, more um, flexible or less severe than they have been. So so at the moment, are there restrictions or bans? Can you go to jail for having an extramarital affair, for example? All of the relevant laws vary slightly and they've all been changed on and off over the decades. Um, it's, but let me give you an example. One of my friends who lives in Sulawesi, one of the islands, um, six months ago, she had two 30-year-old men knock on her door. This is before the laws, under the old laws, um, saying, we heard a male's voice in your house. She's divorced with two teenage children. 
And uh, so the local council was knocking on her door saying, you know, there was a man in your house. We're, we're going to proceed with um, charges from the council. Uh, she explained that there's been no man in my house. That must be my teenage son you've heard. And they said, no, it was a man's voice. And she got her teenage son to come to the door. And they said, oh, sorry, he does have a very deep voice. Our mistake. Apologies. Now, for example, they won't be able to do that under the new law because now only the police can knock on your door and it has to be for a report from a direct family member. But that's an example of how um, the government's attempting to codify all the laws and to make them fair across the country. Now, nevertheless, everyone's still outrageous, you know, very anxious that they might land in even more conservative positions than they landed before, and it might infringe people's human rights, in particular their right to criticise the government and the right of mm, LGBT. Wow. Gosh, gosh when you start to pull it apart, it just becomes so complex. Yeah. Steve, we appreciate yeah. your time. Thanks so much for speaking with us. My pleasure. Thanks. Bye. Steve Allen, psychiatrist, long-time part of the ABC family, currently living in Bali. This text, Bron, it says, as a member of the LGBTIQ community, I always consider the local laws and make travel decisions based on this. I would never fly with Middle Eastern Airlines, for example, whereas Qantas have a rainbow plane and you don't see too many others like this. If you don't agree with the laws, you should avoid these destinations and have a little bit of moral fortitude. And that's from Michael. But I wonder, you know, when we do our research, on countries that we go to, at what part of our research are we looking at religious and cultural beliefs? And I think at the moment, we, when we've had a couple of years where travel has been so difficult and so expensive now, you know, even domestic air travel is so expensive, are you going to be a bit sort of <laughs> forgiving of what the local laws and customs and rules might be if it means you get that lovely cheap holiday that you've been desperate to have? This text, 100% this will stop me from travelling to Indonesia. It's not worth the risk knowing our relationship is against the country's law. So how much research do you put into countries that you travel, do you think about things like their religious and cultural beliefs? And with the current changes, stop you from visiting parts of Indonesia. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Rochelle Hunt with you in Melbourne, Bronwyn O'Shea with you in ABC Wodonga. Talking about how much you pay attention to the local laws of country that you visit. Bron, this text says, this conservative push is not just in Indonesia, it's across most Islamic countries. They have far greater younger population than the West does and that younger population is asking a lot of questions of their governments, religious leaders and even their parents. And what I found fascinating is when we were speaking to Dirk earlier, around social media and what you can post. And when you start to add the rules around social media, then, my friend, you have yourself a minefield. Oh, yeah. And like I was saying with Dirk, the, not being able to criticise the government or the president, I'd just love to know um, what is considered criticism and, and where you draw the line. I mean, when you can't question authorities and you can't um, be critical of decisions that are being made by your leaders, whew, that starts to get really problematic, doesn't it? Darren's in Hamilton. Hi, Darren. Hi, how are you going? Good. What did you want to say? So I've been to Bali on a couple of occasions. I've got a young family, had a great time, and the people there are lovely. But we won't be going back. Um, this is a icing on the cake, really. They just released the the mastermind of the Bali bomber who traded the bomb for good behaviour, uh, but executed two Australian citizens for drug offences. Just the total disparity of their judicial system and how it's applied, um, it's, a, it's a stretch too far for us. So um, that's our mind done. And even... Their judicial process, my understanding is that it's the burden of proof is to prove you're innocent rather than for them to prove mm -hmm. you're guilty, which uh, relative to our Western law and how that's applied, it, yeah, it's just not something Darren, I'm going to you, encourage. So how many times have you been to Bali, did you say, sorry? Uh, three. Okay. Been three times. Yeah, and do you then feel like it's a big decision for you because the locals then miss out on you being there and there's a part of the local trade and, and the local communities that I guess then suffer from people like yourself that choose not to go? Exactly, and it's harder again because obviously they would have struggled greater than a lot of people with COVID and mm. tourism being shut down entirely. So it, it is a decision not made lightly and you feel for the people there, the lovely people, but sort of it's the moral conundrum from our end and it's just not a, an economy we can be seen to be supporting. And um, so, Darren, I wonder, where do you go instead? Um, because there are lots of popular and cheap holiday destinations that potentially, you could argue, have, you know, dubious laws oh. to some degree. 
Uh, luckily for us, we just invested in a camper trailer and Australia's a big place and we <laughs> get to see a lot of it. So. I'm going to hit the road fair. instead. Good for you, Darren. Yeah, enjoy your holiday. But it's funny when you think, I mean, there was a comparison made in the Vox Pops that we heard at the very beginning from a, a young man in uh, Australia who said, well, look, maybe I'll, I'll go to Thailand instead. And when you consider some of the drug laws that have been relaxed in Thailand at the moment, you know, legalising personal use of marijuana, for example. So all of a sudden laws are getting looser in one sort of cheap holiday destination and tighter in another. But, Bron, you know, I can remember years ago, maybe 10 years ago, there was a Victorian woman that was holding a press conference and there was a big song and dance made around how the fact that she got arrested in Thailand because she stole a bar mat from a, a bar, was intoxicated, stole a bar mat, was thrown into jail for the night. And there was this outrage as to how could an Australian woman be thrown in jail? And I remember thinking at the time, because this bar mat was worth around $80, and this was about 10 years ago, and I thought, well, $80 may not seem like a lot of money to an Australian, but $80 to a local Thai person is an obscene amount of money. It could be a Spot week's, on. it could be a month's wage. So when you think, okay, what if you stole something worth a couple of thousand dollars? Should you be held responsible? But this idea of I can act and take something and do whatever I choose and not have the consequences apply to me I just remember being so frustrated during this press conference and thinking well what did you expect to what happen? did you expect yes Simon's in Elstonwick welcome Simon oh good morning how are you good uh, and you know uh, Bali um, well well my first time in Bali was 1976 and uh, my family owned a villa there for 15 years which we just recently sold so the thing some of the things people need to remember is that Indonesia is made up of 10,500 islands, uh, many, or not many, but quite a few that aren't Muslim, yet their central government is a Muslim government who try to assert control through a lot of these sorts of laws. Um, it won't affect tourism in Bali at all. Uh, Muslims don't drink alcohol. Hindus do drink alcohol. Uh, Balinese are Hindu. Um, and there's a very strong uh, culture of drinking alcohol in Bali. Um, I've travelled to Vietnam before where they got very upset if you weren't married. They got upset if you didn't have children. So you just used to say to them, yes, we're married and we're trying for a child. And they were they were happy. Um, Malaysia, very, uh, very Muslim country, has a very strong uh, tourist culture. So what the central Indonesian government do versus how that flows through to a lot of the other islands um, is different. I've been to Lombok on surf trips. I've met many women who are in a polygamous relationship. They might be the third wife. It all exists, but it doesn't affect uh, really how the tourists interact with that. You have to be respectful, obviously, um, but the way they treat the local populace versus mm. the um, the tourism uh, population are, are two different things. They like foreign currency, look at it that way. And do you think, Simon, given how much of a history you have with Bali, that this will affect Bali in any way? Will Australians, you think, no, not travel? No, you know no, look, I've been in Bali where I've been on extended stays in Bali where the central government goes in and shuts down bottle shops for three days and the locals know it's coming and people kind of laugh it off. And it's a bit of the central government asserting their authority, saying we can shut down the alcohol culture if we want to, and then it opens up again. Um, I'd, I'd be very surprised if... Well, look, if, you, if, if I had to say yes or no, I'd definitely say no, I don't think it's going to affect tourism at all. And all you do when you arrive there is you say you're married. Um, yeah. They're not going to ask for a marriage certificate. Um, if you're cohabitating with a, a girlfriend or a, a boyfriend and you can say um, uh, we're married in our, in, in, our, in, our, in our local country, we're married, I don't think... Uh, it, it's going mm. to affect it. The other thing to remember is that Indonesia is basically managed by local governors. Uh, the central government does not control 10,500 islands. So there are a lot of local laws that are, uh, are put into place to manage areas that the central government mm. doesn't Simon, have a lot of influence. thank you so much for ringing in, especially given your long history and connection with Bali. Um, Dr Freya Higgins-Debiol is a senior lecturer in tourism management from the University of South Australia and joins us. Hi, Freya. Hi, it's good to be with you. 
there's been a whole lot of sort of kerfuffle about um, whether this will have a big impact on tourism, whether tourists will become caught up in some of these laws when they come into effect in three years. What's your take on it all? Uh, well, I think that we need to wait and see if the laws are challenged or not, but it is a very big concern about the proposed laws. My take would be for the traveler to be aware of local laws and local um, culture to be both safe and respectful. So, you know, one thing I'd recommend, first of all, which is perhaps most reliable for Australian travelers, is to go to the Smart Traveler website of the Australian government, which in fact already has um, an announcement that these laws are in the pipeline. Mm. So I think that's a very good way to stay informed and be up to date on, on what's happening. I love your conversations and your callers because they're looking at many different sides of things. One thing that I'm quite concerned about is, for instance, how dependent uh, Bali is on Australian visitors. So I'd hate to see their economy suffer even more um, after COVID with a downturn in visitors because of this legislation. So I'd love for us to be thoughtful and reflective on these laws and how we can react to them with thoughts for care also for our nearest neighbour. It's interesting because right at the top we heard from a human rights professor who said, you know, we need to know that money talks and and you can say, oh, this contravenes human rights diplomatically and at government levels, but nothing talks like money. And if we want to send a message to governments that we don't agree with the laws they're imposing on their community, we can choose not to spend our tourism dollar there. And that is a a really powerful way to send a message. But it sounds as though, Freya, you're sort of saying, don't forget that people rely on tourist tourist dollars. And and, I'm sure you might be punishing the government, but actually you're just punishing the locals. That's right. And if you don't communicate your decisions about why you'd be changing your travel travel patterns to the Indonesian government and then through our own... um, politicians, then they're not going to understand the relationships between our concerns for human rights and our nearest neighbours. And so we need to try to have a positive influence upon uh, the the legal situation in Bali. I note that Veronica Lohman, who uh, has written in the newspaper recently about her perspectives, talks about how big of an impact these uh, laws are going to have, and particularly on vulnerable groups like LGBTQI uh, Indonesians so we should be showing some solidarity with them um, as well in thinking about the human rights situation in the country. If I can just extend it a little bit to also be reflective of our attitudes because when we travel to the US are we thinking about them as critically as we do the Indonesians on these laws? The recent decisions on Roe versus Wade for instance could affect Australian travellers You wouldn't want to be traveling there when you're pregnant and possibly experiencing a miscarriage under that new um, legal system that's coming in in the U.S. as well. It's fascinating when you broaden out that lens. There's another text here that says Western women on holidays need to start respecting Islamic countries and cover yourselves up. But Freya, you've used words like respectful, uh, to be thankful, to be reflective as well, to be thoughtful. And I wonder whether they're all of the attitudes that we take when we go on these cheap and cheerful holidays and whether we need to start thinking uh, a little differently about how we act in other countries. I mean, there's texts here that say we expect international tourists to respect our laws, so why would we not respect the laws of the country we visit? If you feel strongly about the laws, go somewhere else. Society change comes slowly, as we know. That says Chris in Newport. It's complicated, Freya, isn't it? Because there's you want to support the locals, but at the same time you want to uphold people's human rights. Mm. That's right. And it it is a very complex situation. And we're talking about uh, ethics and cross-cultural engagement at this interface. And we don't have that um, kind of educational background to actually think about these things uh, in a very deep and reflective way. It would be great, for instance, if high schools we're teaching these issues in the curriculum for our young people so that they could be thoughtful about the decisions they make and make nuanced decision making uh, in their in their travel choices. We take so much for granted about our freedom 
uh, to travel and then our individual rights. But we're visiting societies that are communal and different religions, different value systems. So how do we bridge that cultural interface with sensitivity and at the same time remain true to our values? I think communication is one of the keys and being politically active and engaged. If you feel strongly about what's happening in Indonesia, don't just boycott Indonesia and Bali, but engage in communicating those values to try to create um, change Mm -hmm. together collaboratively and with respect. So, Freya, do you still go on your holiday, but you maybe make a donation to a a grassroots group that's trying to campaign, you know, for greater rights or something like that? Can you have your cake and eat it too, I guess? Well, each of us will make our decisions about what we do, but I think that's a great idea about engaging with groups in the country, uh, leaving funds that supports NGOs supporting human rights, empowering uh, girls and women, for instance, or uh, supporting LGBTQI um, populations in these countries. But the thing is, we're all different. That's partly what we're traveling for is to experience right. these cultural differences. So, yeah, it's uh, a really interesting ethical situation and I guess we each navigate it um, our own ways but I think respect and uh, conversations and dialogue are the key to getting through this successfully and creating the best outcome from your visits because we do want to be good travellers, we want to have good impacts. Absolutely, beautifully put. Freya, thanks for your time as always. Oh, thank you so much it was lovely to chat. Dr. Freya Higgins-Debbie there, Senior Lecturer in Tourism Management at the University of South Australia. Ron's in Yarrawonga. G'day, Ron. Hi, how are you going? Look, my solution to this is so simple. Just don't go there. No one has to go there. So that's what I'm saying. And how do you think that... Find somewhere else. How do you think that would help, Ron? Help what? Well, how do you think it would help make change if you're not going there because you don't, don't agree? And if we're talking about human rights of people and protecting locals, do you think is it all about money talks? Don't go. Yeah, probably. I mean, I think most Australians go to Bali and Indonesia and places like that because it is cheap. But you don't have to go there if these draconian laws they've just brought in. No, no one needs to go to Indonesia, not at all. Anyway, that's how I feel. <laughs> good on you, Ron. Thanks. No, it's good to get your input as well. And I don't want this show, Ron. I'm starting to feel bad, right? I don't, we don't want this show to be don't go to Indonesia. This is not what this show is about. But it's more so looking at some of the things that Freya touched on, which is how thoughtful, how respectful, how reflective are we when we travel mm. to other countries? Do mm. we think about these things when we're travel? So we're not saying don't go, although, of course, it's your choice if you feel strongly about that. I mean, there's texts here from Martin saying, my husband and I have travelled extensively, but we avoid countries that don't allow gay men. Bali wouldn't recognise our marriage. So depending on your personal circumstances, there'll be reasons as to why you don't go to places. But we're mm. not... We're not doing a show on don't go to Bali. It's just I, no, questioning and it. I think it's really interesting as well. So I loved what Freya said about, you know, we op- we travel because we want to experience different cultures, different approaches, different things. If we only travel to places that were exactly the way we were, culturally, morally, everything, well, that's that takes away so much from what travelling is. But what I think is interesting is, okay, if if drinking alcohol is illegal, that's one thing. But when it borders on a human rights violation, that's another. So when we're wanting to be conscious um, travellers or travellers with a conscience, um, how are we going to grapple with those decisions about where we go and what we do? Can we be respectful for the difference but also uphold our beliefs about what is right and wrong? Not because it's what we do, but because we think broadly it's the right thing for everyone. It's it's really tricky. And how much you even know and recognise and whether you get to a country and you read the room really quickly and you go, all right, hang on a second, I'm the only one in a bikini on this beach. Maybe I should rethink. Or do you think bugger it i'm on my holiday and i'm going to do an act however i want so Mm. it's those attitudes that you take Mm. with as well ben groundwater travel writer for the age and author of ultimate food and drink australia ben as someone that travels for a living are we getting better at recognizing or respecting local laws and local beliefs I think that's a very difficult thing to assess. My, I mean, my personal feeling anecdotally is, is no, I don't think we are. I, I think we as travellers 
tend to think that we have access to the whole world and and a right to, to visit the whole world. And, and I'm not sure that these ethical considerations really come into play for people who aren't directly affected by it. Um, you know, you, you look at countries like, you know, the World Cup is happening in Qatar at the mm. moment and there's been some huge human rights issues to consider there and, and laws against the LGBTQI community, um, you know, laws against women, basically discrimination against women, which is part and parcel of, of the society there. And, and, I, and I don't think people have really acted in, in a way that takes that into consideration. And, and that goes for so many other countries around the world as well. I don't want to just about single out that one. Um, but, but yeah, I think as travelers, we tend to put our enjoyment first and probably think that our presence in places like that is going to help in some way and, and that's the way it's excused and that's certainly the way I've probably acted in the past as well and it's, it's a difficult one to combat. Mm. It's interesting then just briefly on that, isn't it? You know, there's, there was a lot of argument about, well, should they even have hosted it and, and are you complicit in what they do if you go along and enjoy the World Cup there? But I guess you could also argue if it, if it weren't there perhaps there'd be a lot of people who were um, none the wiser about the realities of life in Qatar. So purely by having that that global event there, it actually draws attention mm. to that very issue and, and potentially is a positive thing. It's very nuanced, I think. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Yeah, and, and you know, one of the things that the Qataris would point to is that they've got rid of the system. I, I can't remember the exact word for the system of employment there, which means that basically you need to ask for permission to leave a job to be able to go to another job. Migrant workers have to do that. And they've got rid of that system. So they would say the fact that they've had the World Cup has actually increased rights for, for migrant workers. Uh, and, you know, you could you could point to somewhere like Saudi Arabia and say that the reason that women are starting to get more rights there, like being able to drive a car and having more freedom to move around, is because the country is opening up to tourism. And, and so the world is watching. And if we then boycott those places and say we're not going to go, maybe some of those laws are reversed. Maybe that those, those changes don't, don't stick. Mm. And so, you know... I personally don't particularly want to go to those countries, and uh, but but I'm I'm going as a travel writer. I'm going as someone who then goes and promotes these places to the world and, and tells people to go and, and visit them. And so it's a little bit different for me, I, I think, in, in that I but but I would not recommend or encourage a boycott of those places because there there are definitely things that that the positives mm. that can be taken out of travel and, and visiting countries that we may not agree with everything for and and also a chance to see things with our own eyes as well like i've i spent a trip in in iran and and it was one of the greatest trips of my life i absolutely loved it it was it was it changed my whole sort of thought about the world and, and in particular that region um mm. and yet the government of iran you know i i absolutely abhor and and the the demonstrations and protests that are going on right now are really sort of devastating but also encouraging and and so uh, you know I, I went to this country and i really enjoyed it even though i disagree with so much of the things that happened there and it gives you more of a chance to actually speak to people on the ground and understand their perspective and and what it's like for them and, and their lives and so that is something that travel is all about and, and just can't be replaced you can't you can't read a story on a, on a, in a newspaper or online and, and have that full understanding you actually have to go there ben stay with us graham's called in he's in sale hi graham oh good morning what did you want to say? Just a quick observation. I've not travelled to Indonesia. I haven't any, any particularly great interest in that part of the world, but uh, well, I certainly don't wish them any ill. A lot of Australians do, and notwithstanding what happened 20 years ago, they're still doing so. Uh, I guess the point I'd make is that when you travel overseas, you need to be aware of and uh, cognizant of the laws that apply in the particular country to which you're going. In other words, do your homework first yeah. and make sure that... Uh, you, you understand where the limits are and uh, that you observe them. And I guess that's where the comparison was made to drug possession earlier as well. Graham, thank you. Just finally, Ben, this text here, it says, Hey, Rish and Bron, I've been in a relationship for 16 years, not married, so I think we'll just stick to our Aussie camper trailer holiday. The bar's always open around the campfire. Do you think that people might question whether or not they go now for a little while and then once the dust settles, everybody, we won't think about it again? I, I think you're probably right. I, I think this is the kind of thing that it, it makes a lot of news at the time and it, and it does sound sort of worrying. And, you know, I'm in a de facto relationship as well. I'm not married to my partner. And would, would I go to Bali right now? Probably not, even though there is such a slim, slim chance of anything bad happening because of these new laws. But, yeah, I, I think as time goes on and assuming that, that there are no foreigners who find themselves in strife because of these new laws, then, then yeah, I, I think this will sort of disappear from people's minds and, and they will go back again.
And interestingly, when we spoke to Steve, um, who actually lives in, in Bali, he was a little bit sort of, meh, no one's too dramatically concerned, are they? Because it's really not vastly different to what we're living under right now. So it, it has attracted a whole lot of hype and international attention, but will it do much more than that? We'll wait and see. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're really regressive laws, but at the same time, uh, you have to be complained about by a family member. So the chances of, of, of tourists finding themselves in trouble there, as we're saying, yeah, very, very slim. But it's, it's going to be interesting to see what happens over the next few months, certainly. And as you said, Ben, you're thinking now that you wouldn't go. So if seasoned travellers like yourself are questioning it, then, you know, you oh, you would hate for it to impact the locals in a negative way, especially after the last couple of years. It's, yeah, I think we've said multiple times on this program, it's so nuanced and it's so interesting once you start to peel away those layers. Ben, thanks so much for your time. No problem, guys. Thank you. See ya. Ben Groundwater there, travel writer for The Age and author of The Ultimate Food and Drink Australia. Plenty of text saying, well, look, it's simple, just don't go. But then at the same time, Bron, many, many Victorians and Australians have long relationships with Bali. Like, the amount of times we get calls from people and they don't say, oh, I've been to Bali once. They'll say, look, I've been going to Bali for 20 years. Or, it's like people <laughs> with tattoos. You don't have one. <laughs> That's right. Once you go, you keep going and you you have friends, you form relationships with people there and you don't want to see those people affected again after all the years that we've had. I just wonder whether we'll start to do research more generally around the places that we visit, whether it be Indonesia, Qatar, you name it, just other countries around, well, what will the impacts of my behaviour be in mm. another country? Where do I stand? And I loved what Ben said about that opportunity to visit a country and see with your own eyes, with your real life experience, what the reality is like there. And then who knows, you potentially you come home and you become an activist because of the tourism experiences you've had, if you feel passionately about that. I just, I think there's a whole range and scope of ways that we can be smart and conscious travellers and have a really positive impact. Roman O'Shea, as always. This is our last show for the year. Yes, thank you for having me. Oh, thank you. We'll catch you next year. Have a Merry Christmas. Travel safely. Do your research. I, I most certainly will. <laughs> and you too. Merry Christmas. I'll be back with you tomorrow. Until then, take care and I'll speak with you soon.